Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. Also, Premier Ortho, a division of Premier Healthcare, helping people living with injuries and chronic back, spine, or joint pain to get back on their feet. Premier Ortho, 333-1933. Online at mypremierortho.com. Hello and welcome to Noon Edition, a weekly news and public affairs show on WFIU. I'm WFIU WTIU News Bureau Chief Sarah Whitmire, sitting in this week for Bob and Mary Catherine. We're talking about the drought today. If you're like me, your lawn is brown, your plants are craving rain, and your garden is struggling under all the heat. We're going to get some tips today for handling this weather from a great panel here in the studio. Al Scheip is a service hydrologist with the National Weather Service Weather Forecast Office in Indianapolis, Indiana. And Bob Baird is a landscape designer and gardener with Designscape in Nashville. And Steve Bright of Bright Family Farms in Martinsville, Indiana. He raises corn, soybeans, wheat, a whole bunch of things. Thank you all for being here today. We want to hear from you today as well. There are lots of ways to submit your questions or join the conversation. You can call us at 812-855-0811. Follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition or visit us online at WFIU.org slash Noon Edition to be part of our live chat. And I just looked at the forecast before I came in here and it says... 104 today, 106 tomorrow, no rain. Seems like we're sort of a record stuck on repeat. So, Al, if you can just sort of set the stage for us, where are we? What records have we set? When's it going to end? We're uh, nearing the end of what I'm calling a historic heat wave. The likes the area has not seen in 76 years. To make matters worse, the drought in early July are currently worse for the local area, and I'm speaking of the Indianapolis area, than either early 1934 or 36, which were the Dust Bowl eras. The only time less rain fell in those in, in the years I'm talking about is recently in 88 and 1895, which nobody re- remembers. But our temperatures are much hotter than what we, at least the daytime highs are much hotter than we had in 88. For the eight-day period ending yesterday, the average high temperature at Indianapolis was an incredible 100 degrees. The high temperatures on Friday and Saturday that you mentioned will be the likes that we've never seen since 1936, July of 36. And we may raise that average for the 10-day period to 101 degrees. And that would only be second only to the July 6th through 15th period, 1936. This historic heat wave has all will have broken or tied six daily record highs in Indianapolis, including the all-time record for the month of June twice. We broke it on two days and could possibly approach the, the 106. The uh, high of 102 on the 4th of July was only second to the record high of 103 set 100 years ago. So nobody's ever seen this, and uh, the number of consecutive... 100-degree days will grow to three today for Indianapolis. The most we've ever had was in 1936 with nine second places is uh, 1934 with six. So I say we're looking to go to four days. And the bad thing is we're going to get a break, which is a good thing, I mean, but it appears this heat wave may come back at the end end of July and based on just analog forecasting, which is the worst forecast tool that we have, and I'm just looking back on records, it could go back hotter. Wow. Wow. I, I didn't see that. I was just looking forward to next week, but... <laughs> well, I, well, look forward to it. Next week will be a great week, but we Indiana is not out of the woods, and sometimes it takes to break this heat the days to get shorter, and that doesn't happen until you get into the early part of August. So I'm I'm not wishing this on the state. I do not I do not root for weather weather records. I just report and try to see the facts that you know what I see and compare to what I've seen in the past. 
And uh, we alerted the state officials to this yeah. a week ago. Now, Steve and Bob, you're both feeling the effects of this in your businesses. So, Steve, why don't you why don't you explain how this is affecting just your day to day with your corn and your soybeans? And well, Al and I talked briefly before the show started that he and I are on a, kind of the same page. That I have been telling people for a couple of weeks that uh, this is nothing like '84, '88 that the news media and other people are talking about. I was very actively farming in 84 and 88, and we did – we 88, we had uh, rain early, and then it got dry. And so there was sub-moisture there. In Martinsville area, where my son lives and where the base of our farming operation is at right now, uh, we basically started getting dry a year ago in July. We finished off last year with less moisture than what was normal, and then we had less snowfall and less rain during the winter months. So what started out in early April is what looked to be what could be a record crop based on the fact if we get normal rainfall. And we've had so little amount of rain since the 1st of May that we're charting new territory. I don't think there's anyone out there in this part of Indiana that would have been old enough back in the 30s to remember the effects that, that, that the weather was then that could even relate to what we're doing. The only uh, blessing in disguise might be that uh, my son is at uh, Pioneer Plant in Iowa today with a group of farmers talking about drought-resistant uh, drought hybrids and those kind of things and technology. The technology of the hybrids are so much different today than they even was in 88 when mm-hmm. we started seeing things like this that – if it would start raining or if we could get a two or three inch rain, we really don't know if it would revive things enough to have a survival rate to a crop. But uh, local media in Indianapolis last night was talking about uh, interviewing some farmers in uh, east central Indiana talking about uh, this is a 20 or 25 percent crop loss. This is a 50 to 75 or 80 percent crop loss. And in some areas of the state, especially south of Indianapolis, south of 70, down towards Jasper from Indianapolis, there's going to be a lot of crops there. There's going to be a total loss. And uh, no one's ever seen this before. We're charting new territory. How many acres do you have? How many acres do you farm? My two sons together farm a little over 5,000 acres. So a loss like this, what what are you anticipating just personally? Do you know? Well, we met with our crop insurance people yesterday. Really? You're already doing that? uh, Fortunately, we have bought the best crop insurance you can buy. We bought all the options that you have. But uh, now uh, we kind of took in the scenario of you have a spring price and you have a fall price, a guarantee. And if the price goes up, then the guarantee will be higher in the fall than it will in the spring. Um, That's new territory also. But until uh, mid-August goes around, we can start walking fields a little better. Then we've at least got something to work with now as far as numbers to work with to see what kind of losses there are and what kind of crop insurance payments might be made. But even with that said, with crop insurance, you look three to six months down the road after harvest, in a lot of cases, before you get any money. So oh, okay. there's going to be a lot of people in a cash flow shortage this fall that's going to make it really tough. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and, Bob, how about you at the nursery, and what are you, how are you keeping your plants alive there? And water, water, water. Yeah. Uh, about three-quarters of our time is spent watering um, um, our maintenance crews. It's nothing short of an eco-catastrophe as far as many plants, especially recently planted plants. Um, I've noticed plants that I planted last year um, struggling. Um, you can see this uh, horticulturist develops kind of an intuitive sense about how a plant um, wilts or um, yellows in some cases. Uh, there's dieback on the, um, the limbs. Uh, so you just kind of develop this visual sense of how the plants look, and you deep water. Uh, one of the big bugaboos I have is all, are all these lawn sprinklers that people are um, letting run, and that's not always the best way to water your beds or your plants. You should deep water your, your trees and shrubs. Put the, take all, all those fancy attachments off and put the... the uh, the hose right at the base of the tree or shrub, and that's the best way to water. 
maybe for uh, at least an hour, uh, but you might slow trickle all night because some of these trees are just struggling. And my colleagues tell me that uh, they didn't think some of these trees would live, but we've been watering. And we're seeing some results. We're seeing some buds come back after all the leaves drop. Uh, found saw this recently on some red maples and some ball cypresses. Um, so um, people are going to be planting drought-tolerant plants and um, going to be educating themselves about what works and what doesn't. Now, when you're talking about watering trees, are you talking about mature trees too? Are those at Absolutely. risk? Yes, because um, the drought from last year um, has a trickle effect, pardon the, the pun, but um, we're seeing things die from last year's drought. Um, so uh, it has to have the living um, plants with deep roots need deep water because their roots, and that's one of the, uh, the mistakes about these sprinklers is that the water doesn't go deeply. It spreads out, but it doesn't concentrate and go down where the roots are and encourage the roots to grow down. Should we still be watering things like our lawns with a sprinkler? Not necessarily. Um, some people let them go dormant, and they do tend to come back. Uh, they turn a gray color. Um, but if you, um, if you, keep, if you water, then, then you have to keep watering. And it's kind of, it's kind of wasteful um, in some respects. Well, I know here in Monroe County, we're under a voluntary water conserva- conservation where they're asking you really, unless it's essential, don't do it. Um, but I notice even in my neighborhood, every night people have their automatic sprinklers going. And for the most part, their lawns still look pretty good. So I don't know. I don't know. I guess it, at, at, after um, a certain degree, like 80 <coughs> degrees, uh, the, uh, our maintenance manager told me this morning, uh, plants stop growing, and particularly grass. And uh, so um, you reach the point of diminishing returns when you, when you just keep watering, hmm. uh, running those sprinklers. They're very wasteful. Steve, have you been irrigating? We have no irrigation. We're, uh, we're dry lot farmers. You just take what the good Lord above gives you. I've seen a lot of farmers, though, out irrigating these big, big fields full of field corn, and I don't remember ever seeing anything like that. I can't imagine the expense that goes into something like that. Well, they're very expensive to put in for one, and then you have to uh, have a pretty deep, deep hole to suck that water out of. Most of the people I see now are close to a creek or close to a riverbed where the uh, majority of water lays. But all the crops that are irrigated, I've even had a couple of farmers tell me right now, with the heat as high as it is, they're basically just maintaining, even with the water they're putting on. It's, uh, it's coming out as about as fast as they can get it on. Oh, it seems like the perfect storm, Al. <laughs> Would you agree? Uh, I had that. <laughs> with the setup, as Steve said, a uh, perfect storm for a, a big drought. I mean, the, it, seems, it feeds on itself. Uh, we don't have any moisture. Moisture is a cooling effect. Clouds are a cooling effect. We don't have many clouds. And um, as I say, um, it may take a change of season to see this pattern break. Uh, now, as far as the voluntary restriction, if I if I was uh, whatever I would I would make it mandatory and I would or I I declare emergency which mean it would be a mandatory restrictions on outdoor watering and conserve the water now because you may need it for fire protection and drinking water I mean I don't eat grass I mean I know there are people out there that love grass and I'm not I'm not you know at grass but I said sometimes you you may we may have to come down we have to make a choice What's the water going to be used for? I wonder at what point do we do that, and do, do they consult with your office? Well, when, well there's a drought meeting next uh, at the Homeland Security next Thursday. Then they'll they'll bring that up. But I mean, I mean, it's discussed about whether they can, you know, how the how the the levels are, how the uh, you know whether any equipment is is uh, broken. Now next next week with the uh, cooler temperatures. Theoretically, people won't be watering as much. I mean, whenever they see something something stressed out there, my wife is like that. She sees her tomato plants wilting when it's 103. She'd go out and throw water on it. Well, that's just its natural defense. You water it in the morning and then let it 
do what it can in the afternoon in that heat. There's nothing you can do except maybe put an umbrella over it or something, shade it out, or <laughs> bring it into the air conditioning. I don't know. But, but is that as the I best say, time? Is that the best time to water? Uh, morning is the best time. Uh, I've read that between 4 and 7 a.m. is the right. best oh time when there's no loss of transpiration. Um, we're finding that the trees are uh, losing the water as fast as we water um, through this high through the high transpiration during this hot, this extreme weather we're having. I want to give our phone numbers out again so people can join the conversation. The number, again, is 812-855-0811, or the Twitter account is at Noon Edition. You can also join our online chat by going to wfiu.org slash Noon Edition. Now, Bob, I want to talk to you just about some of the annuals and perennials that I'm sure so many people have, my, myself included. Should should we stop watering those? Or sh- no. No. Keep watering those. By it's no just means. grass that might not be worthwhile. Annuals usually have to be watered every day uh, to, because they dry out, uh, particularly the sun ones. Uh, they sit right directly in the sun. Some of the shade um, annuals and perennials you can get by maybe three times a week. Uh, but if they've been recently planted, you might have to uh, water them every two days or so. Um, perennials are suffering, too, um, in this heat. Um, mulching uh, is one of the best ways to save water, uh, but also having the right soil medium to begin with uh, is, is – and the way you plant. Um, you can actually plant plants close together, and that saves on – on uh, watering because they shade each other and they kind of insulate mm. each other. At this point, though, I mean, do, if people haven't mulched, is it too late since it's so dry? Well, it, it is true. It's hard to water when it's absolutely so dry. But um, once you get the uh, mulch soaked, then then you're um, taking care of your plants. So it'll be harder to get, get the... Uh, get it wet enough, saturated enough. But yes, you can still mulch now. And you might still reap some of the benefits. Yes, you save water mm-hmm. and you shade and you um, cool the plant down, okay. which they need this we, time of year. We do have a couple callers I want to make sure we get, we get here in the conversation. Uh, Norma is on the line from Bloomington. Go ahead, Norma. Hi, thank you. I have a young dogwood that's maybe 10 feet tall that was planted this spring had some green berries on it, evidently had blossomed. Uh, I've been watering around the circumference to try and get all the, you know, from one spot to another. Should I change that to the, right by the main stem trunk? Well, I think the entire uh, root ball should be watered, uh, and you might have to move the hose around. Well, that's what I've been doing, but I heard you say, I got part of what you said about something... Uh, watering right next to the trunk. Maybe that's an older tree. I was just being kind of general. general. I think it's good that you've been moving okay. the hose around. Okay. Thank you. Uh-huh. Thank you for your call. And again, the number is 855 if you want to call and join the program. Wayne is also on the line. Hello, Wayne. Hi. I have two quick questions. First question, I water my tomatoes in the morning. And even though I saturate the roots with water, by afternoon, by right now, I'm looking out my windows, and those tomato leaves are curled. And I saturated their, their, their roots this morning with water, and yet those leaves are curling right now. That's what's happening. Is that, is that bad? Does that mean the tomato is drying out? What do you... Well, I, I, I think the tomato plants are doing the same thing at a soybean plant or a corn plant. Either one does. Corn leaves will roll to protect themselves from the heat in the daytime. Soybean plants a lot of times will kind of halfway turn themselves upside down. I would say that tomato plant is is shriveling or rolling in whatever instinct he's talking about there. It's trying to protect itself from the heat. As soon as the heat of the day goes over, he's probably noticing that that thing opens back up. Yes, it does. So it's just a natural way for the plant. It's inbred into the plant. It's a protection agency. It's put in place for the plant to take care of itself. That sounds like more of a heat issue than a lack of water than it if is. you've just watered it. This is the second quick question. I have some critters around my – and, and they, they, 
I think there are some critters like possums and raccoons. Uh, maybe they, they would not eat a green tomato ordinarily, but they are eating them now. I, they've, I've had several raids on my tomatoes. Could, could, there, could I be suffering some critters that, are, that can't get their ordinary food? Yep. Yeah, I, I'm afraid I am. I'm, I'm feeding the neighborhood. Well, th- thank you very much. <laughs> thank you, Wayne. <laughs> All right, Bob, are you are you seeing that too? And maybe at the nursery. Just... Well, we're noticing, noticing the deer are coming into town more. Um, I've seen deer right on main thoroughfares close to the IU campus. Um, it's just amazing. There's so much loss of. Uh, uh, vegetation in the in the woods um, it's dried up, and so they have to get um, uh, forage where they can with the grass dead they they need to get something i guess um, Steve I wanted to you you briefly mentioned soybeans. How is your property divided, and are soybeans more resilient than field corn? Well, we normally plant more corn than soybeans. Uh, I would say on a 60-40 margin as far as 60% corn, 40% beans in a normal year. But the thing about soybeans is they flower more than once, so they have an an opportunity to bloom and set pods. Where corn, you get one shot with it. Once it uh, tassels and silks, you've got about a 10-day period in there, and then it's history. But the soybeans, um, everybody's holding out hope that – Maybe we've missed the first shot of it, but we've still got a couple chances yet to develop a soybean crop if we get rain. But as we was talking about earlier, you know, they're talking about temperatures being in the 80s next week. That's not going to do anything for the corn and soybeans. It's not the temperature dropping to 80 will be better for them, but they've got to have water. Hmm. Okay. So, Al, when you were looking at that long forecast saying temperatures are, gonna, are going to go back up again, is there any chance of rain? In, the, in that period before the temperatures go back up? We have, uh, in the next five days, possibility of southern Indiana maybe approaching this a quarter, or not a quarter, but a half to an inch of rain around a quarter here in central Indiana. That's what our national centers were saying. But as far as the uh, after Saturday and Sunday, we don't have many rain chances in. And the 6- uh, to 10-day and 8- to 14-day outlooks, uh, through the into the latter part of July indicate below normal precipitation, and the monthly outlook indicates below more normal precipitation. And as I say, we see a trend where the above normal temperatures are coming back after the uh, somewhat cooler spell. It seems, and since the uh, warm winter, we uh, we're on a track here to set an all-time record for the warmest year ever for uh, 2012. Uh, we had a warm winter. We had a warm summer last year, and uh, we're, we may not be as hot, hot as what we were last June, but as, as far as the average temperature, but obviously the historic heat wave that we're in now, we are. And, uh, but anyway, uh, as I say, this is, this is something that's really put us on edge, you know, the temperature's on edge when you, don't, uh, when you go out that long. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but anyway, we don't see um, a... Um, Rain and not coming possibly until uh, August, maybe September. Uh, but but there again, this is not California. There have been very fortunate. Some areas have gotten where we'd forecast a quarter inch of rain. They'll get a big thunderstorm and they may get two inches of rain. This this summer, unlike in '88, where generally most of the whole state uh, suffered and uh, rainfall was was lacking over the whole state. We have had favored areas. The area in southern Indiana was struck by the tornado, has been favored with more rain than we have here in central Indiana. Where they grow the popcorn, as I call it, and not many people remember that, Orville Redenbacher up in Valparaiso, they're doing very well. They had a big rain uh, around the 15th, 16th of June, upwards of five, six inches of rain, and and that'll feed off of it. Uh, Your local precipitation in the summertime, a lot of times... 30 to 50% of the rain you get is based on how wet your local area is. Our area is very dry, so we're missing out. We need tropical systems to come up here like we had in 2005 that provided us two-thirds of our summertime moisture 
Right now, the Gulf flow has been blocked off by this persistent high pressure uh, aloft on us, and it's keeping the Gulf moisture in the south, and it's not allowing it to come up. It has to come the long way around. Hmm. I have so to say, when I saw Debbie in Florida that a couple of weeks ago, I was thinking, this is going to be it. It went east. Yeah. But the, the moisture is coming around. Uh, we may be even getting some from the Pacific, but it's coming around. I, I noticed on the five-day, fortunately for Colorado, they're forecasting upwards of four inches of rain out where they've had that. So but they say they call it the ring of fire. The high pressure is, is sitting over you, and all the rain goes around you. Wow. Um, All right, we do have to take a break. Before we do, I want to give the phone numbers one more time, 812-8550-811 or toll-free, 1-877-285-WFIU. Follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition or visit us online and join our live chat, wfiu.org slash Noon Edition. This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville, information at smithville.net, and from Premier Ortho, online at mypremierortho.com. You can take WFIU with you by downloading podcasts directly to your PC, Mac, or MP3 player. Programs such as Noon Edition, Ask the Mayor, and Harmonia, and short features like Kinsey Confidential, the Ether Game Musical Mini Quiz, and Play and Opera Reviews are all available on demand. Pick them up at WFIU.org. And have you heard WFIU's news features? The WFIU News Team brings you expanded and in-depth reports on topics affecting South Central Indiana. Catch the Friday feature just after 8.30 during Morning Edition, just before Noon Edition, and at 5.45 during All Things Considered. They're also archived on our website, WFIU.org. I'm the grandfather. Thank, thanks for joining us today. We're talking about the drought and this heat wave that's really just smothering Indiana. In the studio today, we have Al Scheip. He's a service hydrologist with the National Weather Service Forecast Center in Indianapolis. Bob Baird, he's a landscape designer and gardener with Designscape in Nashville. And Steve Bright of Bright Family Farms in Martinsville, Indiana. We've had a great discussion so far. You can join the conversation, 812-855-0811. Do you want to go to the phones now? We have Jessica on the line. Jessica, go ahead. Hi, my name is Jessica. I had a question about uh, spray hoses versus soaker hoses. Uh, which one is more efficient for watering in this heat? And then my second part of my question is, where are we at advisory-wise? When can we water? Can't we water? You know, are we okay with watering our garden for food in the evenings? Well, I haven't heard any restrictions on uh, watering our gardens uh, yet in Bloomington. Um, maybe in Indianapolis m- might get to that point. Um, I'm a, a big fan of uh, soaker hoses, um, but they take work. Um, you have to um, orient them uh, so that the, uh, the sprinkles hit the plants, and many times they shoot up uh, onto the sidewalk or someplace. And so you really have to spend some time um, uh, looping those um, um, uh, soaker hoses around your plants, and you have to move them. And um, they're more efficient than regular hoses because they hit more directly the root zone where the plant needs the water. And they penetrate deeper than um, if you leave them on long, long enough time. They're not not so good for bigger plants like trees and so forth. You just have to deep water with your hose or have an, a properly installed irrigation system. Okay. And Al, did you know anything about other water restrictions maybe throughout the state? Or well, uh, in Monroe City, as the mandatory restrictions, that's on a, a small community in Southwest Indiana. And then on the on the Wish TV, I heard there was one. It must be a small authority here that was fining people for outdoor water auto, watering. I think up to twenty five hundred dollars if they weren't they they were allowed to water every other day. It was a distribution problem. 
I don't know. I could. I did, don't remember what the utility was. But as far as the Indianapolis, well, it's called Citizens Water now. The biggest user. They were setting records for the usage, and I think they were urging people to cut back. But there's not been any, uh, you know, anybody come out that I'm aware of saying, "Hey, stop water." Mandatory restrictions. Right. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for your call, Jessica. Thank you. Bye. Okay. We now have Kim on the line. Go. Go ahead, Kim. Good afternoon. I think maybe Bob can help on this one. Thinking of our annual food plants that we grow in our gardens, afterwards we uh, had the seed come up or had uh, the transplant start growing after planting. What are the uh, events in the plant's life, such as blooming, when the water really is needed and does the most good? Well, you got got me cor- uh, kind of cornered there. I would think oh. <laughs> the entire um, growth um, period, um, uh, particularly when they're getting established, uh, is the case for almost all um, plants uh, when you're just getting them established. Uh, and then probably can <coughs> back down um, as they're growing. Um, and certainly near the uh, – you want enough – um, moisture to develop the fruit, um, whatever it might be. So um, it's a constant process. I, d- I don't think you can slack down too much, particularly in what we have now. All right. I'm just wondering, does anyone uh, miss hearing the sound of lawns being mowed? <laughs> Thank you. It has been sort of definitely quiet out there. Thank you. Bye-bye. Th- thanks for your call, Ken. Can I add something to sure, that? Sure, please. Uh, corn, corn plants and soybean plants have two critical times of water, and I don't know if these would be similar to vegetables in a garden or not. But corn and soybean plants, when they f- the first 30 days of their life after they get out of the ground, are already setting ear size and grain kernel count and all mm-hmm. that. And then it's a built-in mechanism, you know, through the technology of today's that does that. And then the next critical stage is in blooming and pods and, you know, right after corn, silks and tassels, critical stage to get water to form the grains. Same way with soybeans. Once they flower and then they start to set pods, very critical, so they can fill out the pods. Mm-hmm. And I would think it would be true with green beans or or especially sweet corn um, outside of those two. I kind of limit my <laughs> limit my thought there. I know, personally speaking, my garden is doing really well, but think the fruit on the, my tomato vines, for example, seems smaller and they're ripening, and but they're they're little. So I, I don't know if that's a, an effect of the heat or the water. I'm watering daily, pretty much too, though. Probably it's the heat. Um, I would think. Yeah. Uh, okay, we do have uh, Ed is on the phone. I'm sorry, Ed, go ahead with your question. Hi, hi, gentlemen. Really appreciate all the information about watering for the plants and everything. And I, I don't know if this is the right forum, but with the heat and the drought, uh, my wife's worried a lot about our chickens. We're new at this, and we've got a large coop in a shaded area and plenty of water for them. But um, do we need a fan in there or something? Or, or is this something you're handling today, too? Some advice there? Steve, I'm looking at you as the farmer in the room. <laughs> you know, chickens and pigs, you know, they don't really sweat like most animals do. So uh, to consume water and have some way to keep them cool would be good. You know, pigs especially would sprinklers in a barn to keep them cool would be good. Uh, I would say air movement for a chicken would be a good thing. No, no, no I was going to say is if, that, if that's confined uh, – if the temperatures get too high outside and you put a fan on them, then it acts like a convection oven does, and it'll actually cook them faster than ah, so so the sprinkling uh, even though birds don't like their feathers wet, may be a better solution if it got extremely hot and then you're and they're sitting in the sun rather than put a fan on them just to keep them cool. Yeah, I wouldn't sprinkle a chicken. I would fan the chicken. I would sprinkle well, a pig. <laughs> well, there again, as I say, if it gets too hot, then it, uh, we've shown that people that in the in the inner city that where they afraid for themselves and they uh, their apartment buildings get up to 120 and they turn the fan on, it's, they they actually cook themselves faster because it's a convection oven. You're just circulating that hot air, right? It takes it away faster. I mean, it's better to use the water, but. 
Well, they are in the shade. Uh, yeah, yeah, I heard you. Under the trees, but so so you think uh, a fan might be a bad idea. No, no, I'm, I'm sure most of the day it's going to be good. I mean, this morning well, it felt pretty comfortable, at, even though it was only, what, 77 degrees. I wonder what the difference of temperature is in the shade versus out in the sun. That would well, be a lot. You've got the sun adding to the heat. I mean, you want to block that sun off the off the animals by definitely. I mean, my cat was outside accidentally yesterday. We didn't know it, and she was in the shade. She's smart enough and came up, but it was a hundred and what two outside. So I'd say if your chickens are outside though in the shade, they're they're doing what they're supposed to do. Yeah. They're probably okay. Yeah. Well, in the last Purdue report, they said there were a number of farmers have lost poultry because of the heat. Oh, really? Yeah. So. Ed, I have to tell you, I'm, I'm a farm girl here, but our, our chickens would run into the barn when it got really hot outside. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for the advice. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot for the call. Our numbers again, 855-0811-877-285-WFIU. Call in with your questions. We have a farmer, a hydrologist, a landscape designer in the studio ready to take your questions. Joseph is on the line now. Joseph, go ahead. Hi. I had a couple of questions. One is I noticed if I uh, have my sprinkler on, like one of those uh, sprinklers for the lawn, the birds love to fly through them. They want to get some water. So I recommend putting out extra water in your bird baths because it will evaporate. Uh, But I had a question for uh, the hydrologist, I guess. Um, You recommended watering, and I wondered uh, if people should be checking their flow rate of their hose. I did mine, and when it's at a certain point, like 12 o'clock, I can get two gallons a minute. And on the news, they said an average tree would require not huge maples, but average smaller trees, 15 gallons a week. So if you time it out, you can. it's only about five or ten minutes. Uh, and you said something about overnight. Isn't that a lot of water if you had it at a two-gallon-a-minute rate? And, and you should measure the, measure the trickle, too, so you can see how many gallons. So what do you think about measuring your water flow, and what about constructing some kind of shade shelter out of PCV pipe for important shrubs, and how effective would that be for shrubs and uh, vegetables? Bob, maybe you should take that one. You said the hydrologist. Uh, Yeah. Well, for flow rate, I guess. Maybe other people could answer that, too. Uh, You you might have to consult um, our irrigation specialist on that. I would Mm -hmm. defer to him on that. um, that's all I can say. Oh, okay. Um, what about the shade then? Constructing some kind of thing you could you could make something out of simple. Well, heck, what is that stuff? Plastic, you know, those big plastic sheets, and just make some kind of shade. Would that help plants at all? Yeah, if you're not careful, though, you could make an incubator out of it and double the heat. Uh, you don't want plastic uh, insulating your plants. Uh, you need some kind of mesh uh, row covers that they sell from nursery supply um, mm-hmm. places that let the air through. Um, uh-huh. Plastic's bad, bad business, uh, yeah. including um, and when it's cooler. Uh, even you, uh, you don't want to protect your plants in the fall when there's frost uh, warnings with plastic. Mm-hmm. Okay, good point. And I wondered, Russia had a heat wave similar to this last year. Is this on the same level as that? That, that I, can't, I can't answer. Um, um, I, I don't know. When we were having our, I can liken this to the warm weather that we had in March. We had a 12-day period where the average temperature was like 15 to 20 degrees above normal. Yeah. Very unusual. We had the same thing uh, sets up here. Now, now, now our average temperature is not it's, it's roughly running about 15 degrees above normal, mm. which is puts us push you up to the uh, normal. Uh, I mean, the high temperature, as I was saying, is 15 degrees above normal. Normally, our highs this time of the year are 86 degrees. So we're seeing for the last 10 days, uh, we're, we're seeing a temperature in Indianapolis of 101 for the average temperature. So it's 15 degrees above normal. And uh, well, but what I was getting at in our March heat wave quote-unquote, when everybody was great weather and everybody's running around in their shorts and saying it's June mm-hmm. and whatever, uh, the rest of the hem- uh, northern hemisphere actually was cooler than normal. So uh, it won't be until they did just all the data and whatever. We could be the ones that are focusing right now on the heat 
and it could have uh, in other parts of the country. I know uh, in Seattle they were talking about temperatures only in the 50s and the 60s. Huh. But uh, right now it's been concentrating, especially on the Midwest and moving to the east. There are no heat advisory or, or heat warnings out in Texas or whatever. Of course, naturally it's hot there. but So they're not having excessive like they had at this point last year. And yeah. they've been getting some moisture. And, of course, you saw all the rain that fell down in Florida. So yeah. uh, when I first came here, I noticed that Hoosiers normally in the last part, later part of July, they went to uh, Miami or Florida because they had a sea breeze down there, and our temperatures were hotter than theirs. And uh, the other day I saw Miami with a high of 87, and we were running about 102. So maybe that's your good advice. Go to Florida, and there's nobody down there. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks Thank- for the tip on the uh, shade cloth from, like, a nursery because it has to let air through. That's a good tip. That's right. I, I think that's shade. what they use to cover greenhouses, too. Is that, isn't that called shade cloth, that black sort of mesh stuff? That's yeah. good stuff. That would probably work. Yeah. yeah. Great. Thanks, okay. guys. Thanks for your Thanks call, for Joseph. All right. Thanks. Okay, and we have Valerie on the line. Valerie, go ahead with your question. Um, well, I'm not sure it's a question. It is a comment, especially for the gentleman uh, with the chickens and anyone else who has animals who are living outside. Um, I've been out here in the country for about 35 years with various animals, and until last year, had a cistern as my only water supply, and I don't know if Younger people even know what a cistern is, but it's definitely a finite amount of water, and it it certainly makes you appreciate water and conserving water. But my comment is that I'm going out every couple of hours and checking not just that my animals have water, but sticking my hand in the water and, you know, even in the shade, if water's sitting, you know, all day at 100 and five degrees um water doesn't change temperature as rapidly as air but i think it's really important to check the temperature of your animal's water supply and refresh it with cooler water in fact i have a friend who has to work all day and she's been putting blocks of ice in her dog's water because she said when she was getting home at seven in the evening the water was so hot you know you could take a bath in it and uh, it's just as important for animals as it is for us to stay hydrated, and they're certainly going to drink more water if it's if it's not hot water. Right. So that's just my my comment for the sake of the animals. Yeah, good tips there, Valerie. Thank you for calling in. Hopefully, the other person who called in was was still listening. I heard an article just this past week about dogs and reminding people not to walk them on the blacktop because of their paws and how hot it was. Um, Steve, I wanted to talk to you about ethanol really quick. We ran a story yesterday from our state house reporter about how much of the corn crop goes towards ethanol and if we have a bad crop, what that can mean for food prices. So I'm hoping you can talk about that. Well, I'm sure that uh, ethanol. Um, I'm not sure. I shouldn't. Say, I shouldn't use that word. <laughs> but I would be willing to make a wager that they're going to cut the corn supply to ethanol production if the crop ends up as bad as what it looks like, because there'll be so many other uh, needs for it for feed, uh, for livestock as well as human consumption, and then um, profitability at lower prices in. Uh, Gas prices, you know, if we hang in this three three twenty range, the profitability for ethanol in that is uh, less desirable. Mm-hmm. So there'll probably be less demand for that anyway. Has now you're you're suspecting they might do that? Is that unprecedented, or or have they have they done that before? Uh, I don't think it's unprecedented, and I don't think there's any surprises in today's world as to what could happen <laughs> with manipulation of markets and. Uh, that's uh, that's kind of a wild statement to say that. But, um, you know, government reports I'm not real friendly with. Um, they seem to have a way of finding crops that nobody else has been able to figure out how they found things. So um, it's kind of a price control. Um, the li- this, this thing's going to affect livestock producers. It's going to affect everybody at the grocery store. Um, it's going to per, it's going to be a disruption to farmers next year. Seed supply was in short demand this year. There was actually an interruption in some farmers getting done planting corn because seed supply was not available. So I don't know where all the seed supply is going to come from this year. With the you know fifty per six, I think it said fifty six percent of the U.S. was in a drought situation as of this morning. Uh, that's kind of unprecedented, also. 
And Indiana is, is it the third or the fifth largest corn producer? Fifth. Fifth largest corn producer in the country. Correct. So just the effects that could have even globally if Indiana's crop is no good. And North Dakota and South Dakota combined are, even though they're having a record crop, those two states together cannot produce as much corn as Indiana does in the fifth position. So with a few of these other states having record crops, they still won't offset the loss that Indiana is going to produce. Wow. And what, what would that, the trickle-down effects, what will that mean to the state's economy? Well, you know, you, you, farmers are the world's optimists. You let a farmer make a dime, and he'll spend seven or eight cents of it. You know, they'll they'll keep things moving. They'll they are very economically oriented and put things back in the marketplace. Uh, if you take um, in a family operation, take a million dollars out of their operation as far as their income, you know they're going to have uh, only a few choices to make, and that's how to plant next year's crop and how to survive for two or three years to make this money back. So it'll have a long, long devastating effect. Um, a friend of mine's father used to say that a short crop has a long tail. This is going to be a very, very short crop, so the tail of this could be very, very long. The shorter the crop, the longer the tail. The longer the tail. Mm, okay. The numbers to call in with your questions, we only have about five or ten minutes here left in the program, 855-0811, that's area code 812, or toll-free at one 285 wfiu You can also submit your question on Twitter at Noon Edition or join our online chat at wfiu.org slash Noon Edition. And Al here, I'm, I'm looking at temperatures just across the country, and part of me has to sort of stop and wonder, are Midwesterners kind of wimpy when you look at temperatures in Arizona, which I know, like you said before the program started, they're not quite where we are, but they're used to this kind of weather. Well, my daughter just came back from Arizona, and I almost got in a fight with her. She says, this is great weather. And of course, I'm not, I grew up in southwest Pennsylvania, and uh, I'm not used to the, when it gets into the 90s here, I start becoming grumpy. So obviously, <laughs> when it gets into the hundreds, which is something I never saw. We didn't see very much in southwest Indiana or southwest Pennsylvania where I grew up. Our elevation there, 35 miles south of Pittsburgh, was about 1,200 feet. So uh, all I can remember is we would sleep outside on the porch latter part of uh, July, early part of August. And then by middle of August, it was cooling down. It was great. June was not a hot month at all. It, uh, you could do everything you wanted in the month of June except go swimming. It was too cold to go swimming. Swimming, you didn't go to around the 4th of July. So here our temperatures are a little warmer in Indianapolis. So when we get on the warm side above 90 or so, I start complaining. And I say, these hundreds. But but to get back to your point, Indiana is you're, – you're set up for what you're normally. Normal, we're expected – see a, a week or so of 90-degree weather, not a week or so of 100-degree weather. And that's what your infrastructure is based on. Arizona people, they're, they're, they're used to, or, you know, their infrastructure is based on the, the heat out there. They are smart enough. They, they are not on what we call double daylight savings time here in Indiana. The sun there comes up at 4.30 in the morning. And they want it to go down. They don't. They stay in at the heat of the day. They don't come out till eight o'clock at night when the sun goes down. You know the saying: Englishmen and uh, what is it? Mad dogs and Englishmen are the only ones out in in noonday sun. I mean, when it's hot outside, you don't want to be out there. I see people jogging. If you want to eat stroke, fine, go at it. But I mean, you're you're losing all kind of water. It's not a smart play. And it's a, it's a desert, too, so we don't have to worry about our plants in Arizona. Right. Those and, and they, you know, so, but we're, as our farmer friend here, Steve, pointed out, we're trying to produce crops here, and that is not a good thing when the temperatures are it is now. And fortunately, you know, what I brought up at the beginning of the program, this is something we've not seen in 76 years. So hopefully this does not become, as some people are saying, if we're on our lo- on the road to global warming, something that's something that happens in Indiana every three to four years. I mean, you'd have to change farming tactics pretty quickly. You, as Steve says, bad crop is going to last several years. Well, if this happens every three or four years, they'll never get out from under it. It is interesting to me. I mean, this is obviously a family business for you. 
and how long would your sons want to stay in it? That's a good question. This became the pattern. I mean, farming's a tough life. It's a tough life. You know, we started this thing, like I said, last July. Normally in Indiana, in our part of the country, a farmer tries to start planting corn now and soybeans mid-April. In a normal year, you would be looking at 14 to 21 days before you would see a plant come up. There was farmers in Morgan County planted corn the 15th and 16th of March this year that came up in seven days. So that tells you how warm the ground was in March when they was talking about the temperatures. We had extreme temperatures. So now even if we get an inch of rain this weekend, with the temperatures we're having, it takes somewhere, I'm guessing, between an inch and an inch and a quarter of rain just to maintain. So if we get an inch of rain, say, this weekend, we would need another inch of rain by the following weekend. And that's where this pattern's at that we're not getting. So I'm not sure we can ever make up what we've lost now. It's just hoping to get enough rain that we can survive some kind of a crop out of what we got. We only have a couple minutes left in the program. We, We did have a caller who just called in a question, wanted to know if pruning would be helpful. Can you help with that, Bob? It might shock the plant during this kind of, um, uh, I, I would, um, well, I would prune off certainly the damaged plants, uh, die back. You often see um, limbs inside a tree or something that need to be pruned off. But I wouldn't um, do too much pruning now um, so as not to shock the plant. Uh, oh. It's already under stress. Um, so that's. That's a little more stress than um, I think they need. Um, Maybe can withstand. Yeah. Uh, I would wait till it's cooler for for some plants to prune. Okay, great. And that, unfortunately, is all the time we have today. I do want to remind just all of our listeners there is an excessive heat warning in effect, so be careful. Drink plenty of water. Stay inside, right, if you can. Um, for engineer Mike Pashkash and producers Julie Rawl and Gretchen Frazee, I'm Sarah Whitmire. Have, have a great weekend. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. Also, Premier Ortho, a division of Premier Healthcare, helping people living with injuries and chronic back, spine, or joint pain to get back on their feet. Premier Ortho, 333-1933, online at mypremierortho.com.